Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. In this episode, Laura Weaver from our dental marketing team talks to Wesleyan Financial Services financial consultant, Bal Tandy, about the financial concerns of associate dentists. In particular, the employment statuses of associates and the potential impacts for them and principals and what needs to happen next. But first up, Laura asks Bal about locum cover and its importance to dentists. Yeah, locum cover is simply insurance um, that's taken in the event of a dentist not being able to do their work or due to a sickness or an accident or an injury. Um, in summary, it covers the, you know, the cost of a substitute being paid to carry out that dentist role. Okay, so would this be something for an associate dentist to consider then, seeing as they're self-employed? Yeah, you're right. It's very important. Uh, The majority of associates are self-employed professionals. Um, One of the key indicators of self-employment is, um, you know, the subject of substitution, which means, um, you know, whether a dentist can demonstrate if they're able to recruit and pay for a locum or a replacement dentist if they're um, not able to do their role themselves. up until now, the associates have been covered, uh, which has been, you know, fairly new, unique to dentistry. Um, as long as associates had and used standard forms of agreement, such as from the DPA, uh, BDA, sorry, or the DPA, um, and adhered to them, um, these agreements pretty much offered protection uh, when assessing, you know, their income as trading income as opposed to to employed income. Um, but that's all due to change. On, on the 6th of September this year, the, the guidance for dentists is to be withdrawn. And um, come 6th of April 2023, um, the status of new and existing contracts or dental contracts um, should follow the CEST or the Check Employment Status for Tax Rules. Um, basically, this doesn't pick on dentists unfairly. Uh, what this actually does is that it brings dentists in line the rest of the working populations rather than you know them being assessed by exception which has pretty much been the case in the past um what this means in practice is that the hmrc will look for evidence to ensure that the contract that they've set up by you know between themselves and the principal is working in practice so whether it's a sole trader a limited company or a corporate outfit um so you know beforehand it could have been you know um a short conversation the agreement's been sitting in a in a desk somewhere gathering dust um it's now going to be based on individual circumstances and local arrangements um as opposed to just um um an agreement that's just written in paper and and put away to be honest okay that's really interesting so um in terms of the locum clause I guess that's not really just up to the associate to enforce, is it? It'd be something that the principals would need to consider themselves. Definitely. Um, the principal or the engager um, who enforces that locum clause will be the person or the organisation who pays the salary. So for principals, that means that if it's not carried out in practice, the cess test will almost certainly catch them out. Um, what this means is that the HMRC will interview the principals and the associates separately. And if there are found to be any anomalies, um, then, you know, the principal could find themselves in hot water. Um, how how so? Well, one example is that the impact that national insurance will have. So, you know, when you look at the average associate in the UK currently, the employer contributions and our contributions can amount to 
something like ten and a half thousand pounds per associate. Um, and if the HMRC are not happy with the way that these working arrangements are put into practice, they can backdate this liability by six years. Um, so, for example, a principal who runs a practice with four associates could ultimately deal with an HMRC liability that could range from £42,000 for one associate if you know they were backdated to six years up to £252,000 um, for all four associates should the HMRC decide to backdate um, this liability, which they can do. Okay, so that's very concerning then um, for the principal dentists. What about the associates? Are there any kind of like negative implications of them being considered employed, um, maybe perhaps from a tax perspective or something? I guess that for me, uh, the biggest single implication is that they would see their pay reduced significantly as an employee rather than being self-employed and having that flexibility that they have at the moment um, and that's because of the additional cost that the principal or the practice owner will have to bear as an employer would have to be um, uh, I mean as an employer they'd have to meet that cost from somewhere um, this could also mean that if the HMRC sees a mismatch between a standard associate agreement that's not being used in practice and it's not a live working document then their employment status comes into question um, and you've only got to look at the recent uber case um that has really been uh, an example of this um as i mentioned already many associate dentists have relied on their income as trading income and not employment income so in this case there would be no pay as you earn due or and the relevant ni contributions would already be paid for but um the removal of these guidelines in just 18 months time means that if the cess test is not met and dentists do not carry out other work relating to these standard agreements that have been put in place, such as paying for their share of the lab fees or having locum cover in place, then there could be harsher penalties, um, especially as HMRC now begin to bring the dental world under the spotlight. Okay, that's really interesting. So I guess, are there any other kind of like knock-on effects that we haven't really discussed at the moment? And um, it could be for either the associates or the principals that it's just really worth thinking about. Apart from what we already mentioned about the national insurance impact, the other impact for the principal to to think about is is the enforcement of the locum clause. Um, and understandably, they could potentially risk losing a good associate. Um, I guess one way of looking at that, uh, this you know regretted loss, would be to you know to up the actual UDA per unit to perhaps you know 10 or 15 pence per UDA to each associate so an associate for example doing 6,000 UDAs a year that would mean an extra 600 to 900 pounds uh, by increasing that unit but this could or would um, easily pay for the locum cover um, if it was arranged through Resilien for example. Um, I know what I would prefer whether I you know I would rather pay the associate 900 pounds extra by upping that UDA unit price as opposed to a potentially bigger liability of anything between the figures I've just mentioned of 42 to 252,000 being the impact of national insurance and potentially backdated contributions. Um, another potential knock-on effect is, you know, the recent case on the vicarious liability that could also be impacted here, um, which again puts the onus back on the principal. Okay, there's some really good ideas then for what they can do to mitigate the risks. Is there anything else that and um, both parties could, could be thinking about to help um, reduce this any further? 
Definitely. Um, the associate contract needs to be watertight and it needs to include clauses that have been previously omitted. Um, so, as I mentioned, the substitution or the locum clause, um, the, lab fee, uh, the lab fee clause, make sure that both the principal and the associate sit down and even hygienists and therapists now um, have a contract that is worked on practically. Um, imagine, you know, the scene if you've got the HMRC who decides to interview the principal and the associate separately, will they ultimately be singing from the same hymn sheet? Uh, will their answers be the same, for example? Um, will the working relationship be deemed as of an employed or a self-employed nature? Um, in summary, these, these 18 months are going to pass very quickly. And what I would recommend that that CES test be carried out, uh, which you can find on the HMRC website, sit down, Go through your contract and make sure that you can tick some of these self-employed indicators, um, such as will you be paying for a locum in the event of, the, of your absence? Will you be paying for your own lab fees? Because um, ultimately, one of the self-employed uh, indicators is that if you don't come into work, you don't get paid. Um, a written contract does need to reflect reality and you know, make sure that you've reviewed and critically and if necessary, update that contract with the associates. And you should sit down, take your time and review these contracts on an annual basis. That'd be the biggest, uh, biggest piece of advice that I would give. That's really, really helpful. Thank you, Belle. Um, is, is this something that we can actually help with um, for any kind of potential um, advice or services that we can kind of help take this risk away? Yes, certainly. I mean, Wesleyan, we're here to help our, um, you know, our dentists and we're the only financial service providers that I know of who offer locum cover for dentists, uh, which can always which can also be claimed as a business expense. So all I would say is just, um, you know, contact your Wesleyan, contact the Wesleyan, contact your financial consultant. Don't hesitate to come to us if you need further information and advice. Um, we're always here to help. And that's our show for this week. Thank you to Belle and Laura. If you want more information about how Wesleyan can help dentists, go to the website at wesleyan.co.uk. And you can also search for us across Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and even Instagram. You can also subscribe to this podcast at all the usual outlets. But that's it for now. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>